Hello and welcome to the artist interviews for the Architectures of Hiding Symposium organized by Cryptic. Uh, um, I am Ryan Steck. I am the artistic director at Art Engine uh, here in Ottawa and I'm here with... Hi, I'm Pallavi and I am one of the coordinators for Cryptic as well as uh, the co-convener for the Architectures of Hiding Symposium. Great, today we are with uh, Hala Barakat, originally from Anapta, Palestine. She's an assistant professor of architecture at the University of Idaho. Hala received her MARC and her MUCD degrees, both from the University of South Florida. Uh, she covers architectural design foundations in her courses and believes in architecture's ability to tell stories of civilizations, including narratives about displacement. She resists the use of architecture to serve any political agenda and feels strongly about the creation of a space as an act of advocacy. With her global perspective, Hala aims to use architecture as a catalyst for developing an architectural language understood by all. Hala is interested in spatial advocacy and early design pedagogy. Welcome uh, to our conversation. Glad to have you here. How are you doing today? Thank you so much. I'm great and I'm excited to be here. Great. Uh, we're here to talk about um, your project, uh, which is engaged in sort of new ideas of uh, how to integrate history uh, and stories into architecture. Um, and I, I think we'll maybe just start um, with what the inspiration for your project is and how, how, you, uh, how you understand it, so I guess, Give us a bit of a description of what the the project is and you know also how are you connected to the ruins which are at the center of your project and the history that you're trying to reveal here great so um i guess the inspiration has always been there being a palestinian living in exile um you feel a responsibility to always give back and always do something to make sure the people are heard. Uh, this project started during my MRC and MUCD uh, thesis graduation projects where I was able to map the occupation, think of alternative ways to, um, to create spaces of advocacy, spaces that actually protest for against the occupation, against the apartheid and the colonialist states. Um, as for this project, uh, the reason I had chosen LIFTA in particular is because of the recent events that have taken place. So um, LIFTA is facing, a, is actually right now fighting, resisting a development plan to turn, it is, as it is the last Arab uh, village in Jerusalem, it is today resisting a development plan that would turn LIFTA into an elite city uh, with a boutique hotel, 259 housing units, um, and the space for commerce and trade. So um, there is a part of the history of Lifta and the narratives and stories of the people that live there that is being erased and concealed by this development plan today. So you're engaged with um, a set of ruins um, that's sort of at the at the at the center of your project is these um, these structures houses that have been demolished or decayed over time and that there you're trying to um, reveal elements of history um, about 
not only the area, but a larger sort of uh, geopolitical history as well. Um, so the reason I chose the ruins in particular is because I am criticizing the way these ruins are being renovated in this development plan. The ruins um, in the development plan are meant to be renovated and like nothing ever happened to them and turned into the boutique hotel in addition to libraries and some uh, commercial shops. So the fact that I chose the ruins and kept the ruins destroyed, showcasing the cracks, showcasing the demolition and the negligence that happened to the structure is my way of advocating to the people that once lived in those homes. That's very interesting, uh, Hala, and um, it makes me think I'm pretty sure there were challenges that you faced when, as the work evolved. How did your work evolve and how did these pediments affect the way you thought about your work? Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? Of course. So um, I think um, one of the, the, in terms of involvement, I initially started by just wanting to tell people what this occupation is about. So I wanted to show people what it feels like to live with very strict borders, to be, what, what does it live, what does it feel like to have to cross a wall crack in order to go to school every day? What does it feel like to give birth on a checkpoint? So initially it was just really, in a way, visualizing what life is like in occupied Palestine today. And then later on, it started to, I started to see how much of that history is being gone, how much of it is being erased without any proper documentation. So I started to think of alternative ways that we can write history other than um, putting it into words, but rather creating them, turning them into spaces and 3D structures. The medium that you've used in terms, it's very architectural, right? The, these collages that you've used, the models that you're building up, the 3D uh, digital fabrication that you're doing. Um, and how does that medium, does it lend itself well? And especially, you know, you're in a Western context, um, you're teaching students. Uh, and how does that translate in terms of your medium and your audience um, when you're talking about such a culturally a uh, significant and charged uh, topic. How does the medium affect that in, for example, the architectural models and, and why did you actually, I'm really curious why you chose those medium? Um, actually, I, I was pretty fortunate. I have, I had a really supportive um, faculty at the University of South Florida that were pushing me to tell the stories. Um, Another thing is, and of course, your platform, having the opportunity to showcase this uh, means the world to me, because I know how much, how little people know about it and what they know about it might not be two-sided. They might just know one side of the story. Um, and then in terms of the medium, I believe that architecture helped me talk about this very comfortably because um, in a way it takes away this, as political as it is, I feel like the spaces themselves take away from the agenda, the political agenda behind uh, the project. So um, I think architecture served me in that sense where people were able to criticize the space, criticize how I'm reconstructing it rather than focusing on the uh, politics aspect of it. And that was desired? to remove the political side of things? 
I try and maybe like you said because it is the western world I, I am always a little skeptical about being misunderstood or you know having my words be twisted especially that English isn't my first language I often struggle with that some some words might mean something completely different to me um, but certainly I think if it wasn't for those spaces or this visual this uh, 3D visualization I think it did all the talking for me. It kind of got my mess message across without me having to say much. And that was always one of the things I tried to do at my presentations during my education is what if I didn't present anything and just showed people the work and just had them talk about it. Um, so at the core of your project is um, these uh, sort of like real uh, digital um, representations of these uh, spaces on the ground. How did you come by um, those documents and um, how did how did your project sort of evolve from there? Right, so um, it, is, it is really difficult to find people that have um, a lot of images from when they lift and lift up because people, liftons have been expelled and forcefully made to evacuate the village um, in 1948. So it's a long time ago, but luckily there are uh, some images and some documentations of some of the homes today that I actually used and um, rebuilt into a 3D model. And the idea behind it was to use these 3D models as a cast. So architecturally, the, the ruin itself becomes the site for my project. The ruin itself becomes the cast. And then I try to take the negative of it, which is what's being destroyed, and reconstruct it into these new uh, architectural terminology. And it, do you have, um, or have you had the opportunity to have sort of collaborators or connect with others about it? Or, and if you haven't, how could you imagine um, connecting with others around this project? So unfortunately, I haven't had any uh, besides the discussions I've had at my um, graduation um, thesis uh, presentations. But I, I did have a lot of discussions around whether we could build those and whether if we built them, you know, as pavilions today, would we build the ruin or would we reap the ruin out? Would we build them in Lifta or would we try to build them in the West to help people know more about it? So I think um, some of those discussions, I actually try to take and implement into my classes. So I think the, the only collaboration that I could think of would just be incorporating this into my early design studios where I give the students the homes as casts, as ruins, and I tell them nothing about their history, not their location, um, none of the narratives and kind of allow the students to figure out a narrative for themselves and build it or incorporate it into the room. Um, but ideally, I would love to have the opportunity to take this further and actually think about building those at full scale, um, with or without the ruin, just as pavilions that would tell stories that would transcribe history in a different way other than reading a book or an article. When we're thinking about the ruin, um, and the ruin holds a kind of um, architectural fascination for many designers, uh, a kind of um, 
you know, often romantic interpretation of time, um, or one that, you know, speaks of uh, this conversation between time and architecture in which uh, unfoldings are uh, happen uh, between the two uh, forces. And so in your case, though, you talk about the idea of uh, even a redesigned ruin, or, uh, and it's, you don't often in the language and the way you see it as an intervention into the ruin, but as a kind of uh, reimagining. How, how do you understand the ruin and this act of kind of redesign in relation to the ruin? Um, that's actually really interesting because I think of the ruin as the positive and then I try to build off of the negative. So I try to build plaster models that are a continuation of the land itself. So the homes and lifts are actually built from chiseled stone that's found on the site. So there is a folding of the landscape fabric to actually create these ruins. So what I try to think of the whole village as um, the cast, and then I try to build on the negative. So in a way, the, the absence of the ruin completely but still show an indication in those interventions. So within my interventions, even though I touched the ruin very minimally, um, but I try to frame what is positive of it. Um, that way, even if I had to remove the ruin or possibly get the opportunity to build this elsewhere, the home doesn't need to be there for it to exist. For, or for the people's stories to exist, right? The ruin doesn't, have to be there for their stories to be heard. Sometimes it's the absence of it that could allow me to build on it and reconstruct it. So there's almost a kind of experimental archaeological component to what you're trying to do. Absolutely. It'll be interesting then also to see how your students uh, take it further. I mean, uh... they do a way better job than me. They're always an inspiration, <laughs> truly. <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh, but again, I, it, it'll be very interesting to see. I mean, maybe Architectures of Hiding, um, the exhibit that you have here could be the starting of a longer story or conversation that can travel to different places, as you were saying. Um, and on that note, I would also like to, if, um, I, I would like to ask if, uh, there is an intended audience, but, or, or is it an open-ended? Um, platform where you're probably seeing the possibility of who can become the audience or the reader. Yeah, that's great. I think in the beginning when I was uh, building the Tower of Return, which is the acrylic model right next to the three ruins, my focus was on the Liftons in exile today. So I wanted to um, I wanted to acknowledge their existence and I wanted in a way to give them something back that would um, that would almost claim their homes and claim their stories and their memories. But then as I started to think of this and started to present this um, here in the United States, I, my shift has now been focused on the West as my audience, because I think if we can get more people to talk about this and more people to understand it, then we can really make a change. Um, people in the Middle East mostly know about it already, and it's them. It's the it's they they are the refugees. They are there, but my focus right now is making sure that 
the West um, knows about their stories and knows that side of history. I wonder if um, you could talk a little bit about um, the concept of permanent temporariness and how, um, uh, if you could elaborate a little bit on this concept as you understand it and how it relates to the project and how it sort of emerged and influenced the project that you were that you have here. So Permanent Temporariness is a book by Sandy Hillel, and that's where I got the three terminologies for my um, for my Berwins to reconstruct them. To me, permanent temporariness is almost everything that I've experienced on a small and a large scale. So to me, being Palestinian, but not being able to be there, having to always in a way reference it back, having feeling the responsibility to always advocate for it. It's always this idea that I'm in between. It's there, but it's not there, especially with architecture where I want to advocate for it, but I also don't want it to be a political talk. I want it to be a humanitarian one. I want it to be a spatial conversation. Um, so to me, um, permanent temporariness and the ruins also, especially in the ruins, comes from the idea that they are there, but they're also not. And they're permanent in the way they hold their memories and the way they advocate for the voices of the people, but they're also temporary in their physical existence because one day this development plan could get signed um, and all of this would be gone. So they are temporary in that sense. I, it makes me wonder if uh, local architects um, in, in the area are doing anything for this or is there some kind, what kind of a um, project can come out of it so that the memory is not lost, uh, but then still, you know, there is, the idea of development is always there, correct? So uh, how do we even revitalize these ruins that are there? Are there any talks going on in that regards? There are plenty of advocate groups and there are a number um, that are in Israel today that are advocating against this plan today. So, um, but there are also a huge number of architects that would be willing to take on this project and rebuild on these ruins and turn them into a boutique hotel. Um, so I think the role of an architect in, in this case in particular becomes very questionable. So as architects, as designers, to what extent do we design spaces without acknowledging its history, its context, right? We often learn context, right? In school, we learn landscape, existing elements, but some existing elements are not tangible today. They're stories and narratives. And it seems like when an architect, to me, when an architect approves of a development like this and is willing to take a project that they are neglecting and disregarding this historical aspect of it. So yeah, while some groups are advocating um, it is unfortunately a political matter. Um, and to the Israeli government, this, this is the development plan. It's, it's gonna bring a lot of money. It's gonna turn this into the new Tel Aviv, as they call it. On that note, and, and that's a grim note to end on, <laughs> but uh, definitely I think your work is uh, something that is much needed, Hala. And um, we are very thankful that you are able to 
uh, present uh, in the architectures of hiding symposiums. Thank you for that. You're too kind. It means the world to me that you're allowing me to showcase my work. So thank you. Well, it's, uh, it was a great conversation um, and uh, we look forward to sharing your thoughts on your work and uh, having people uh, see this, uh, this uh, very interesting project. Thanks very much. Of course, thank you very much. I appreciate your time.